You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. In the name of Allah, most gracious, ever merciful, good morning, welcome. Assalamu alaikum, and may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all from Thursday morning breakfast show with myself. Kayum, and joining me today is an old comrade, brother Tokit Anvir, Imam Tokit Anvir. Good morning. Peace be on you, Imam Tokit. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullah. It's a privilege uh, to present uh, alongside <laughs> <laughs> my my host. Uh, he he only says that because I'm the dinosaur. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm old and he's young and he has to say these things. <laughs> no, no, no. Honestly, I, I, I want to say these things. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on swiftly. It's getting too cold. <laughs> It is, it is, uh, thank you for joining me this morning, Brother Toki. It's, uh, as I said, always a privilege. It's been a long time since we kind of done this together. It's actually been more than a couple of years now. Absolutely. It's been, Man, it's been, time flies. It's been a, it's been a long time. And it hope, has been a long time. Hope you've been well. Uh, yes, uh, always. Uh, what have you been up to? Uh, always, man. It's just, you know, it's, uh, life, uh, life brings always new challenges every day. Um, and uh, challenges is the main mm. kind of... Uh, uh, I suppose the main thing that faces everyone in, in the world we're living in today, which we will kind of cover in, in our first half hour when we talk about what's happening in and around the world. But uh, before we go on to, you know, worldly um, and, and daily challenges, uh, one of the challenges that we're facing is the weather. Mm. Um, it's it's a good thing that uh, it's been, uh, we have experienced some rain over the past couple of days. And there's been host pipe bands, um, uh, which have been, um, Thames Water did theirs yesterday, um, and I think uh, across Kent and Sussex it was a couple of weeks ago. Um, so <clears throat> it's a welcome um, change, um, but uh, it's, it looks like it's going to be carrying on where spells of rain will push in from the northwest across Scotland, Northern Ireland, uh, and uh, northern, north, north of England um, and Wales, and uh, the rain will um, locally will be fairly heavy. Um, drier to the southeast with a few sunny spells. Um, it has been um, it, it's it's been a really on and off uh, um, in in respect of of rain. It's like more off than on. Um, one of the reasons why hose pipe bands are always put into place is when there's a severe shortage of rainfall, and uh, and June July has been very dry. Um, hence, why water authorities have had no choice. I mean, this this is the first time I've uh, read about the hose pipe ban. Really, um, I, Man, I you don't are young, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I I don't remember reading in the UK that you know there's been a ban on uh, on uh, hose pipe or anything like that. Because th- th- there that. hasn't really been such a warm summer, um, and f- followed up by a dry kind of rainy season. Mm. Um, and as we know, I'm sure you've experienced it as well over the past couple of years, where the weathers have changed, the heat has increased, um, and uh, when when the sh- when there is a shortage, um, that means everything, all the ponds, all the canals, all the lakes, even the res- uh, you know the reservoirs, all dry up. Mm. And when they dry up, um, then what happens is uh, that, uh, um, and and in addition to that from a logistics perspective there are so many our, our drainage system and our pipes are so old mm. across the country yeah. i mean hundreds of years old yeah. and there are there are so many leaks that so much water is wasted mm. and uh, um you know it's it's 
it's it's something that local authorities, or sorry, I should say not local authorities, but water authorities, um, are left sometimes with no option but to put these bans on, um, as to so um, water isn't wasted, mm. um, and uh, you know they can't control um, what uh, they can only make an appeal to people to to be more wise with water, or how they use it at home, but what they can do is they can have a control on something which is more visible to 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 the eye in respect of people kind of watering their gardens or they're kind of washing their cars um you know <clears throat> it's, it's where a lot of water is kind of wasted um from from that perspective um, putting it into context as to why the host pipe ban um is uh, is is put in place um, i mean I, I guess we're very grateful in that sense that you know we have a supplier of water on a daily basis in our lives, you know, and, and there's absolutely no one to stop us that, you know, you're using too much water, except maybe our parents. Um, but, but, but but you're right. But it is, you know, it, it uh, as much as you are so you're so correct that we are blessed in that sense, but we are also ungrateful in that sense mm, as well, mm. um, where we don't appreciate the blessing that we do have. Mm. <clears throat> I mean, I, I remember uh, going to uh, to Mali in West Africa. And uh, uh, so I, I didn't really speak the local language there. Uh, they spoke French and the local language was Bambara. And uh, I had one of my colleagues there with me. I, I had met there and he was part of the IEEE. And uh, one of his projects was for Water for Life. And uh, so we went to a village a very remote village uh, from the city um, and one of the projects there was to set up a uh, a solar panel water uh, water for life at for the for the locals over there um, so I, I got to see uh, that project uh, towards this last final stage and I remember when uh, they had opened the tap uh, and fresh clean water started to gush forth uh, you could see the local children were so grateful for it, and they rushed towards uh, towards the water as if uh, you know it's uh, it's liquid gold. So you know, you, seeing such uh, um, such incidents, you know, you get to appreciate that how fortunate we are. Um, you know, who who uh, have fresh supply of water on a daily basis, and you know there are people around the world where uh, they are not so fortunate. It's, you're, you're true. You're, you're exactly true in 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 that sense. Um, you know, until you experience something, you don't really appreciate. Mm. Um, and and this is something that needs to be instilled in 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 the younger generation, especially now, because not because it's not, it's something that they don't appreciate. It's because they've never really seen the other side of the coin. Mm. You know, small things like. Um, you know, brushing your teeth, water stays on when you're brushing. Mm. You know, it's it's you'll be ama- you'll be amazed the amount of water that gets saved. Mm. Um, people don't time their showers. People, um, you know, like to have uh, luxurious baths. Um, you know, unnecessarily washing cars uh, because you want your car to look a bit more shinier than the other ones. And it's it, you know, it's it's the small things um, that go. F- you know, they take you a lot further. Um, than than you would think. Plus, in this country now, all the houses, um, um, and eventually I think it will be across the board, are going to be fitted with water meters. So the more you use, it's going to cost you. Yeah. You know, the more you use, it's going to cost you. But it's ironic. I always think this as a, for a country that is surrounded by water. Mm. We are an island. 
yet we have a shortage of water. Mm. There's an irony in there, isn't there? <laughs> um, that you know that <laughs> that that we live, we 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 are an island, yet we are having we have a scarcity of of, of clean water. We don't have a scarcity of water, but of of good water. Looking at papers, um, I mentioned challenges earlier. Uh, so the, the the Times has led with a story that generation covid i mean that's a new thing is is are you the generation covid or the generation come after you is generation covid i suppose um faces university rejection with a level results coming out this morning it says that tens of thousands of teenagers are expected not to secure a place at their first choice of university even if they miss just one grade this is partly because there is greater competition this year for a few places the paper suggests the leading russell group universities will offer a third of the courses through clearing that they did in 2019. The surging cost of living is also on many front pages. I mean, before we get on to cost of uh, living, what's your take on this, um, um, Tokira? Because I know um, you are a very integral part of um, of the youth who um, dedicate their lives um, to the cause of Islam Ahmadiyya. Um, and and uh, a lot of these youngsters who do dedicate their lives our, our young students. Yes. What's your take on this? This this must be an important uh, part of what you do in your in your role. Yes. So um, currently, um, I'm serving in the central Wakfino department. And uh, for our listeners that don't know what the Wakfino stands for, it this was a scheme which was uh, initiated by the fourth caliph of the MD Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed. Uh, may God Almighty have mercy on him in 1987 um, and the whole purpose of this scheme is that parents they dedicate their unborn children for the propagation of their faith and initially at that time when His Holiness had announced this scheme it was only for two years um, as uh, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community it was going into its first centenary uh, it was going for the first hundred years um, which would be in 1989. So as a, as a gift to those 100 years, His Holiness <coughs> had initiated this scheme for two years. But uh, there were so many applications from members from all over the world. Um, so many people wrote that uh, His Holiness said that, well, um, you know, I, I want to uh, now just initiate it. And from there, uh, this scheme was initiated. And now, by the grace of God Almighty, as His Holiness mentioned on this very recent annual convention on Saturday, that uh, the number has now gone up to 78,000 uh, members from all over the all over the world. Um, so, I mean, it's a blessing to see a lot of these youngsters. Uh, I know that there was there was a there was a um, there was a young young uh, young brother from here from the UK. Um, he finished his education in teaching and uh, after completing his education he wrote to his holiness and he said that well i've completed my education i've specialized in what i need to um <clears throat> does the community need me and at that time uh, the community they they needed i mean they still do but they needed teachers in in nigeria so um so then they said that we his name has been shortlisted uh, as a teacher in nigeria and uh, from there he he went with his whole family and now he's currently serving in uh, mta studios in ghana so that's just one uh one example from the ocean 
itself um, of of those youngsters who have completed their education and uh, now they have presented themselves for the community and uh, they, they were uh, working or serving I, sh- I should say in in various capacities within the community so a lot of your youngsters are going to be waiting for results this morning yes yes uh, so um you know a lot of them uh when they've completed their GCSEs or or A levels or you know if they've completed um their studies in universities um what they've been told to do after you've reached the age of 15 21 or you've completed your education um at university level you should then inform the community that you know you've completed your education what is the instruction of the community from here and then um so so that, that that's how it is and uh, i actually work in the central uh department and uh, <coughs> we directly correspond with all the other countries around the world so for example uk would have their own national secretary and various other countries so they report then to the central office and then we correspond with them and uh, also get guidance from his holiness so that is uh the system there wonderful um <coughs> all the students who are waiting for the results uh, you know do you need to whatever the results may be there's always light at the end of the tunnel there's so much opportunity available um so no, no matter you know if if you think you've missed your grade um there are, there are other options out there um so you need to keep your head up keep a positive mind and and take that step forward as the best advice anybody can give to anyone in the, in these kind of circumstances um because um uh, since the since the covid years um the education system in this country has quite has suffered quite significantly mm. and there's been too many peaks and troughs in respect of um what systems need to be in place what standards need to be in place and how the education system needs to be kind of um taking students forward and preparing them to be the the future leaders of this country and there is a dire um that there's a huge vacuum um at the moment which needs to be filled but that's not just in uh, in education um i did say that uh, we're going to be looking at based quickly um cost of living as the newspapers like telegraph um you know highlights the the their front lines is uh, britain has the worst inflation in g7 the i newspaper also says how homeowners need to be braced for another interest rate hike they're talking about how interest rates will be hitting 4% now in the scheme of things i always say this and i'll keep on saying it again and again a lot of the younger generation over the past 20 years have become homeowners have no idea what uh, you know a generation before them were 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 experiencing and and that's not their fault it's something that they've been they were blessed with in that that sense because this is one of the worst crises that this country is going to be seeing since in fact the early 80s um even though uh, you know um over, over the past 20 30 years the, the availability of money has been fairly good in the sense where mortgages were easy to to obtain interest rates were low economy was good but people tend to forget what goes up must come down you know in, in the even in the scales of economies nothing ever keeps on going up there will be troughs and this is one of the major troughs we've had we had uh, you know troughs in uh, we had we had a, a significant trough in 2008 which we called the you know which we kind of said that there was the bankers crisis 
but it still wasn't um it it, it didn't create um it created chaos of course it did but um but uh, comparatively to what's happened in the in the 80s and even the late 90s um this is something that's going to be repeated because there's there's seems to be misery across the board <coughs> with bills gas electric um uh, on the increase they're talking about how october people need to be prepared for october and then in january it's going to be even worse so you know f- from something that you were paying last year uh, effectively your bill is likely to quadruple we already talked about water so gas um in trouble electric in trouble water in trouble education system in trouble our economics in trouble it seems to me that that um um you know we and, and comparatively to if you look at other other european countries like um france um if who are our closest neighbors they they're not experiencing similar kind of problems they have the inflationary problem but um, when it comes to utilities the government has gone into to requiring some of the um, some of the utility industries they already own edf funny thing is a lot of people don't realize EDF are a major supplier of electricity in this country mm. and they don't seem to realize that they are actually financing the French government because it's owned by the French government mm. because UK sold a lot of uh, you know and all you know it 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 uh, it's it's business to 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 neighboring countries in the name of privatization and that seems to be uh, the problem where at the moment um you know one of the other headlines is how um it it uh, in the guardian in fact it talks about a research estimates that 18 million families which is about 45 million people will be left struggling to make ends meet now put that into context this country's population is 67 million out of which 45 million people are going to be struggling this 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 and and the reason why i kind of went through all of these different utilities um that's just the basics i mean we haven't taken into account mortgages we haven't taken into account your everyday living expenses like insurance telephone um you know car costs we haven't even talked about petrol we're talking about just surviving mm. which is what you really need gas electric and water yeah. um and 45 million people out of 67 million uh, population that's a staggering amount i mean it seems to me the poor are getting poorer rich are getting richer uh, and that's one of the major challenges here isn't it uh, brother tokyo where was the robin hood Yeah, Robin Hood. <laughs> I wish there was a Robin Hood. Um there needs to be a Robin Hood. And and I think in this in in the context of Voice of Islam, I think uh, from our perspective the Robin Hood is is that people have lost faith. Uh people need to people need to kind of um even though we are challenging times, people are looking for answers in the wrong places. Um and I think um, the past couple of years has been perfect examples and I think one of the things that uh covid did um, and 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 you know it, it couldn't have done it any better where people realized or people saw in 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 effect when they went to their went to their politicians and the politicians failed them they went to the medical experts the medical experts failed them they went to the banks the banks failed them um nobody actually had a solution and people had no choice but they had to kind of get on their knees and and then realize hold on that there is there is a greater being that we need to turn to mm. um and, and it seems that the second we have come we're starting to come out of these challenges people are seeing people are kind of going back to the default position before the pandemic it is well you know when we needed god we we kind of 
believed in him and we called out to him because when when they turned to their leaders um, in different industries, it didn't work out. Mm. You know, and and the perfect example was, you know, if if you look at it, uh, the, the at that time the so-called leader of the free world was hit by uh, pandemic. The power and the money and the influence and 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 all the connections didn't help. Mm. It didn't stop them catching it, did they? Um, similarly, in this country, um, in fact, if you look at across the country, across the world, in so many different countries, all these most powerful people in the world and the richest people in the world suddenly were absolutely helpless they didn't know which way to turn mm. um and 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 there's a lesson in there and so you know so so the short uh, the, the answer to your question in respect to where is robin hood faith is where the robin hood is in in real terms and a lot of people seem to seem to kind of um dismiss this idea of faith um which has kind of become a trend as well like religion is all um um, religion is where the where the, where the problems are. Whereas, um, in fact, you know, even in the, the word religion is people something they're scared of. And and I will say, look, religion is 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 just a word. It's it's a way of the beauty of Islam and Islam Ahmadiyya especially is the way of life. Is everything that we do in life. It's not that we we bring religion into it. It's already there. It's something which is is present, mm. and you'd be surprised if you look at your life. And I'm sure you've listened to so many different radio shows over the past few years on Voice of Islam. You'll realize that you probably don't know it, but a lot of the things you do in your life already fall within the realm of the the the, the way of life of Islam. Um, Whether you want to call it a religion, I, th- I think religion is the word religion is very is narrow. I think faith and deen, and in, in, in I think in in Arabic the word is deen. Deen is the way of life, so it encompasses every aspect of your life, every activity of, of of you, your existence, um, has Islam in it, and that's the beauty of 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 this word um, that that we talked about, and 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 yes, that's that's the Robin Hood of today, because forty five million people, that's a lot of people that are mm. going to be affected. Absolutely, I mean th- this. Uh, this reminds me um, of a narration as well of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, um, about serving mankind. How important it is to serve mankind, and uh, the, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he explains the beauty of those individuals that help the vulnerable. How blessed they are in in the eyes of God Almighty. And uh, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he explains. Um, I'm, I'm not reading off from a script, so I'm just explaining it, paraphrasing it. So the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, explains that on the day of judgment, there will be a group that will sta- stand before God Almighty, and they will say to God Almighty that, uh, or God Almighty will question them, that uh, I was on earth and I was thirsty and I was hungry, and you did not quench my thirst and you did not feed me. And those uh, group of people that were being addressed, they will reply to God Almighty that, Oh God, when was it that you were thirsty or you were hungry and we did not uh, quench your thirst or we did not give you food? And in reply to this, God Almighty will say that such and such person of mine was hungry or he was thirsty and he was asking for food and he was asking for water. And had you had fed him, had you had given him water or food, it would have been as if you had fed me and you had given me water. Uh, so from this narration, we realize how blessed it is 
to help those who are vulnerable. And with this in within this narration, there's a second part to it. Uh, then another group of people will come to before God Almighty on the Day of Judgment, and God Almighty addressing with them will see, he will say that. On earth, God Almighty himself, he was hungry and he was thirsty. And you had quenched his thirst and you had given him food. And those people being addressed, they would say to God Almighty that, Oh God, when was it that on earth that you were thirsty or you were hungry? And we gave you food and we satisfied your thirst. And God Almighty in reply, he would say that such and such person of mine, he was hungry or he needed food or he needed something to drink. And you had fed him, and it's as if you had fed me. So from this narration, we, we find that in essence, Islam plays a key role in helping the vulnerable people of the society. And uh, the, these are the two main fundamentals of the Sharia of Islam itself. One is that you should give due rights towards God Almighty. And the second is you should give due rights towards this creation, Hukukul Ipad. And uh, this itself is one of the main fundamentals of Islam that you should serve mankind. I mean, I remember there was a, a, on the annual convention as well, His Holiness mentioned that uh, the figures show that uh, it is actually the Muslims who give the most charity uh, to, to the poor, to the vulnerable. And this itself is in essence with what Islam teaches that, you know, you should help those um, who, who are vulnerable and who are the needy. You're so correct, uh, Brother Thakir, that, and again, the past few years have shown us that um, when we ever come through these challenges, the solutions always lie within community. It's the it's the individuals who will assist the individuals, um, and you know, um, and and that um, that assistance is exactly what you're talking about, which is hakukulibad. That if you do want to reach and create that relationship with God Almighty, the one way of doing that. Is to serve is to, to to serve each other, is to serve his creation. Um, you're listening to the breakfast show with myself, Kayum, and Brother Tokir. We're going to take a very quick break, and when we come back, we're going to go on to our first topic of the morning, which is dreaming dreaming up new proteins. AI, artificial intelligence, churns out new medicines and vaccines. So, do stay tuned. Grab yourself a cup of coffee, and we'll be right back after a very short break. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Welcome back to Thursday Morning Breakfast Show. You're listening to myself, Kayum, and Brother Dukir. If you want to contact us and share any of your thought processes or if you want to contribute to our topic, which is... Um, Dreaming up new proteins, artificial intelligence churns out new medicines and vaccines. Then do give us a call 0208687 You can uh, message us on our social media platforms at Voice of Islam UK, or you can um, email us via our website, which is www.voiceofislam.co.uk. So, um, just looking at uh, the, the the gist um, of this. Uh, um, of this, uh, this this topic of the morning, um, 
basically, um, the gist of the story is that instead of predicting the shapes of naturally occurring molecules, software designs and original ones, it's one thing to predict how natural proteins might fold, it's another to design new ones from scratch, allowing our future medics and biologists to innovate medicines and vaccines in record time, finding cures to diseases that were previously incurable. Researchers at Harvard and the Princeton and the University of Washington School of Medicine have developed an artificial intelligence software that uses deep learning to design proteins with various functions, some of which could be used in creation of medicine, vaccines and medical treatment. Protein design, also known as protein engineering, is a process by which researchers create proteins with enhanced or novel functional properties. These engineered proteins have various uses but many are used in medical research to design protein vaccines such as COVID-19 vaccines or medical treatments for conditions like cancer. I'm so glad that that made so much more sense to me because it was written down for me. <laughs> I'm not a scientist. I've always said that. You know, these things always fascinate me. Um, that uh, we've got, uh, you know, I, I always get fascinated by these things because um, in Islam, science is not... Science has always spoken about how it's separate from religion. And, and Brother Thakir, um, I'm sure you will kind of explain that briefly before we get on to our first guest of the morning. That, in fact, science and religion are intertwined. And especially it's it's if people were to spend a little bit of time and doing some research and reading some of the commentaries um, um, of, of the Holy Quran, then uh, they will they will realize how progressive. And there's a reason why this book is called So Eternal. Um, that it will be a book for for till the end of time, but I know you've got a thought in your mind and you're going to say something. But I want you to hold that thought because I want to go to our first guest of the um, of of uh, of the morning, um, who will be um, Ju Wang, who is a post uh, doctoral researcher uh, in the Baker Lab at the Institute of Protein Design at the University of Washington in Seattle. And uh, we're going to be talking to them and asking them questions um, about uh, um, about this topic. So let's go straight to our um, our guest um, um, of the morning. Good morning, welcome, assalamualaikum, peace be on you. Thank you, um, Ju Yang, for taking time out and coming on to our breakfast show. And please forgive me if and, and correct me if I have uh, mispronounced your name. Yeah, uh, you can say Ju Ju Wang. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, could you please um, 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 explain to us um, the, the, what our topic of conversation here, where we have, um, where, where you have led a project in which artificial intelligence is trained to deep learning and generate medicines and vaccines via artificial synth synthesis of protein molecules? What discoveries did your research make? Yeah, um, the work we did, I was part of a team of researchers uh, here at the University of Washington in Seattle. Um, what we discovered was um, that we could use some recent uh, methods uh, involving machine learning on proteins. Um, we could apply them toward creating um, new proteins that uh, have never existed in nature before but which can do some useful functions, like uh, interact with other proteins in a way that um, has potential, you know, medicinal value or could serve as potential vaccines. Now, how does in 
artificial intelligence work? I mean, earlier when I was looking at the the description of, of what it means in this respect is that a lot of deep learning has been kind of um, applied here. So does that mean that AI can come up with a lot more uh, variances um, compared to the human mind in respect of the information that gets put inside it? In in a way, um, so one thing you have to realize is the type of problem uh, we were addressing in our study, um, we call it a, a motif scaffolding problem, which is just a fancy way of saying there's a part of a protein that does some business that mm-hmm. you're interested in. Perhaps it sticks to another protein. Um, but the natural form of this protein uh, it's inconvenient for some human purposes. Okay. And so you'd like to take that business part, the part of the protein that does the thing you want, and then put it inside another protein that's different. Um, and so that is the specific thing we were able to do with the, our research. Uh, now, the way that um, machine learning figures into this, so I call it machine learning because um, even though it's somewhat synonymous with artificial intelligence. The artificial intelligence, I think, is a broader term. It can sometimes mean sort of trying to train computers to do all different tasks, sort of have this like general intelligence. Machine learning is a more specific term that just means training computers to do a specific thing. And so the way it works in our case is we show the computer examples of um, of proteins that um, researchers over many years have deposited into a database. Uh, And specifically, we don't just show it proteins, but we train it to do the task or the perform the action that we would like it to perform. So in our case, we would like it to take a part of a protein and then generate an entire protein containing that part. And so what we would do is we take these many tens of thousands of proteins that exist in a database and we remove a portion of that protein so that we are only showing a part of a natural protein to the machine learning uh, program and then we basically train this program over the course of many iterations to recreate the missing portion of the protein and in doing this it it seems that it's able to learn not just how to reproduce the missing portion of a natural protein, but because it's seeing many, many examples of natural proteins, it's actually able to sort of synthesize that information and create, uh, whenever you ask it to generate a portion of a protein, it creates something that's a little more ideal or a little more orderly in the way that it's how the shape looks compared to just any old natural protein you would pick out of the database. So it's kind of synthesizing information between all of the natural proteins that it's seeing and it's kind of distilling what are the features of natural proteins that tend to be good or, you know, enable it to to perform well. Um, And so I, I think that's one of the interesting and maybe useful things about what we created. Uh, no, sounds very interesting, uh, Juwang. And I wanted to ask you, in what ways uh, can this technology be used to improve medical science? Yeah, you know, if you think of um, 
if you think of uh, medicine or you know the goal of treating a patient as let's say so I'm going to make you an analogy let's say treating a patient is like building a house okay so the equivalent of what we've done is we've invented a better way to make bricks so we're not doing anything that will immediately or directly um, improve you know some particular disease or you know treat a particular disease but we've created another tool in the toolkit for people who are developing drugs pharmaceuticals to be able to make new types of drugs that are perhaps more effective and so that's actually something that we in our lab are doing research on kind of following up what we've done with this machine learning is to see are there specific diseases or ways that these new computer software can be applied such that we actually can create a new drug or you know create some new um, way of benefiting um, human health and how soon uh, will this technology begin to be implemented you know it depends on how you're thinking about um, the impact or you know what the downstream effects are I would say it's actually immediate uh, that people in different pharmaceutical companies are using this technology um, both the specific thing that we created as part of this publication but also other things that are similar that maybe we weren't directly involved in but it's all part of this field that is making really rapid progress and you know the moment we we release some new code or some new new software people are basically picking it up the next day and testing it out and are there any issues that are trying to be worked around with this particular technology you mean like are there any problems with it or ways that it can be better yes. is that what you mean by issues yes or yeah, challenge challenges I, that that you might have come across yes i i think there are many challenges you know this um the as a researcher you know my job is never done i i um we we actually in fact you know now that the paper is published we've already been working for months on ways of improving these methods and so without going into too many technical details I think there are kind of two general things that could be made better um, one is that the method could be made more efficient so right now it sort of uses a lot of computer calculations to do the things that it does and often that's actually a limiting factor in practical settings um, and so we are hoping to make it more accurate, more effective, so that it can use fewer computer resources to achieve the same results or maybe better results. The second area is expanding the types of protein designs that we can create using this method or these types of methods. Um, mostly in our paper, we were designing proteins that could stick to other proteins. Now, this is good because this Protein sticking to other proteins is a common way to create a drug. So that's a that's a common way to make your body, you know, react in a certain way to help deal with a disease. But we would love to be able to make proteins that could perhaps catalyze a chemical reaction 
you know, that would expand the range of possibilities beyond just human health, but maybe, um, you know, sustainability like green chemistry or maybe even helping with uh, climate change and carbon emissions. So, so being able to create proteins that can catalyze particular chemical reactions would be really powerful, but for various reasons, this is a much more challenging problem than what we've tackled so far. And so it will need more development and more research. Ji Wang, thank you so much for taking time out to coming on to our breakfast show this morning. I wish you a fantastic uh, evening ahead, I should say. I know it's very late, so um, where, where you are, so <laughs> I'm, I'm that much more appreciative of you taking time out and spending it with us this morning. Um, may peace be with you, sir. Thank you for having me. Thank you, sir. Let's go straight on to our next guest. Uh, we have with us um, Hanele Ruhola Baker. I do apologize if I've miscorrected or mispronounced uh, your name, who is a professional professor of biochemistry and associate director of the Institute for Stem Cell and Regenerative Medicine at the University of Washington in Seattle. Her research focuses on the molecular biology of stem cells and on the use of uh, drosophila, which are fruit files, as model organisms for human diseases. Good morning, welcome, assalamu alaikum, and peace be with you. Thank you for taking time out and coming on to The Breakfast Show. And please do correct uh, me if I've misspelled your name. No problem, that's that's fine, that's fine. And it's actually pretty late here where I am. I'm in Seattle, so good night to you <laughs> uh, from Seattle. <laughs> now, you, as we, we're discussing um, uh, artificial intelligence technology, um, 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 in the context of design of original protein molecules. Could you please tell us what exactly are the protein molecules and why are they so important to us? Mm. So that's a big question, right? So, so proteins are really the workhorse that make us all tick. It, they, they control our, our cells in our body and make the cells move and generate energy, multiply and, and even kill the cell when the cell is out of control and, and becomes cancerous. So they clearly are the most important molecules in our body. And why are they so important? I guess they are important because they um, control our livelihood and they have been very curious for all of us since... Um, Really, their function is based on their 3D structure, not their sequence per se, or sequence that then determines the 3D structure. But it's that that fold uh, that then creates an active site that has been um, so hard to really uh, generate in in earlier earlier times by demand. And we are very very excited that now actually modern. Technology is allowing us to do that. Thank you. Thank you for joining us this morning. And I want to ask you, what is um, artificial intelligence and how is it being used to create new protein molecules? Ah, <laughs> you, have, you have deep questions. This is, of course, also a, a huge, um, huge question. I'm going to give a very simplified answer. Please. <laughs> I, I would say, yeah, I would say artificial intelligence is... A, is designed um, as a deep learning system. So uh, the, the computer learns clues by, in, in the case of protein design from 3D structures, and learns all the possibilities for best 
protein structure. And as we just talked about, it's that fold protein uh, structure, the fold that, that determines what the protein is going to do. So artificial intelligence um, uses learning al algorithms to learn how the fold um, comes about and then learn it so well that that design these folds by demand. Um, sort of giving a kernel, a central structure, and then allowing the learning program to autocomplete the rest of the protein in a best possible manner. So really, it's this, um, this, this uh, method that allows then totally new designed, rationally designed proteins that then will allow us to do new therapeutics. Thank you. And finally, in what ways can this technology change the course of medical science? Uh, we hope that in many ways, in, in the best possible way, because uh, since, since we have discussed that the proteins are the molecules that make us tick, make, make us do what we do, um, sometimes they do a wrong thing, and sometimes we'd like to have designed molecules that do just uh, the con controlled manner to think we want them to do. And so um, in hope that now we can control and modify protein structure and function in demand so that we can generate useful vaccines uh, or cancer treatments or like what's really close to my heart is to generate um, a regenerative medicine that can really help us to live better lives. Professor, thank you so much for taking time out and coming on to The Breakfast Show. As you mentioned, um, it is late evening there, um, so we are that much more grateful that you waited and uh, and gave us your valuable time. I wish you uh, wish you well, and may peace be with you. Thank you, Eva Spicer. Thank Good you. night. And there we had two prof two professionals, two scientists, I would say, you know, who, who kind of shed some light onto the topic of the morning. I'm going back to your thought that you what you've been holding on for the past twenty minutes, brother, <laughs> brother, Dokir, is is I was talking about how um, you know in in this modern day and age we um, we separate not we as in us but the 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 public at large and 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 the outside world always talks of science and and religion as in two separate two separate strains, and that's actually not the case, isn't it? Because they that uh, science and Islam are intertwined, aren't they? Absolutely, and uh, th and the reason for for this uh, notion that <coughs> you know um, it's Islam itself uh, you know doesn't coincide with science itself. The reason for that is that not understanding Islam properly or not um, understanding the Holy Quran properly. Because if we look deeply into the Holy Quran, you know we we believe that every answer has been given in the Holy Quran. Um, as this is the re revealed book of God. And we have seen that uh, the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, the founder of the Amdi Muslim community, through through the Holy Quran, he has proved um, ma many different uh, viewpoints that science, uh, well, it coincides with the uh, with the, with the, with what uh, with the findings of uh, of science itself, for example, I'll give you an example that in the Holy Quran it says 
that uh, the universe is expanding. And it was only very recently that scientists realized that, well, the universe is actually expanding and what is written in the Holy Quran is completely correct. And similarly, if we look at the question of evolution, um, the Holy Quran is very much straightforward with regards to the evolution. It, it doesn't deny uh, evolution. Um, however, Charles Darwin's theory that, well, humans itself, we evolved from apes or, you know, if you, if you look at other animals, Islam disagrees with that. And if we study deeply into the Holy Quran, we find that the Holy Quran explains that, well, man was made with clay so if we look at the uh the human civilization that when islam says within the holy quran that how it all started was that man was made from clay and those humans that had been created at that time it was done through this long process and and that that's how they were created and it also explains about the uh, the normal creation as well that uh, after humans were created it was then through the you know reproductive system that that but, whole but you could also explain i mean is is it possible and i'm sure you will correct me here the evolution of man is also the progressive the progression in the thinking of man because we know that there was the neanderthal man we also know that he was millions of years ago but we also know Prophet Adam is what seven, six, seven, six, seven thousand years old. So there, there, there's clearly a line there which is which has been continuously present. There's been beings present on Earth, but from the Neanderthal man all the way up to a pro Prophet Prophet Adam being the first man in the sense of uh, um, understanding the we talked about the rights of God and the fact that there is a God and and bringing um, religion and spirituality to man. So. The evolution is also about understanding and progressive thinking, isn't it? Absolutely, and uh, that is why you have Islam. Yeah, Islam. If, if you look at Islam, how is it so different from Christianity, Hinduism, or various other religions? If you look at the core teachings of Islam, Islam says that Islam is a universal religion, mm. whereas the religions which were previously before that. None of them claimed that they were yeah. ever for the whole of mankind. The so, so they were all more geographically located and they came for a certain people. Absolutely, absolutely. And whereas the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, God Almighty addresses him as Alameen, that he is the mercy for all of mankind, mm. not just for Arabia, not just for South Asia, but for the whole of mankind. And this, this itself... Is evolution itself that this uh, is, that was the thing that you know I mean our listener who is not the kind of like me is not inclined from the scientific perspective but looks at things rationally mm. it's like you talked about this this Darwin uh, about man coming from ape well listen I've been going to the zoo for the past fifty years I ain't seen no man turn into I ain't seen no ape turn into a man from my point of view <laughs> you know it's like that to me that just like hey what. No, no way, man! It just don't make sense to me. And if it, and, and if that, if an evolution is forever continuing, and, it's and infinite. So it, unless what we're saying here is, well, man came from ape, and then it decided in the year or so and so that it's going to stop. And and Khalifa Rabid, the fourth caliph, actually explains that. Well, you know, if there are different stages of man that had evolved from an ape. Um, to a different stage and then to a hu human being. 
he says that well why can we not find any evidence of such such a human being um whereas if you if you look at history you know we have uh, managed to find mammoths who exactly. are over 40000 years old mm. and still in such conditions where they are absolutely fully intact with the with the meat tissue mm. uh, you know their skin everything intact as you know they were fr- frozen in parts of siberia or c- coldest parts of um, of the country mm. um so you know they they have been dated back up to 40000 years ago but yet we cannot find any animal or any human being who was going through a stage of evolution uh, for example let's look at the polar bear there was any polar bear which was pink or green it's uh, you know if we look at historical evidence you'll always find that same um, same design that god almighty had created from uh, from the beginning so there w- there was no change there was no evolution so the holy quran itself is very strict in that that you know when it comes to evolution that uh, it goes against the nature of god that you know he would get an animal to suffer through different stages to get the best ultimate and and there's also this misconception that islam is not for progression whereas it's the total opposite where islam actually encourages and in fact his holiness azad mirza masrur the fifth caliph and the head of the ahmadiyya muslim community may Allah strengthen his hand in fact encourages students to go into research to find more solutions and remedies and cures for so many ills of society from a medicinal point of view um so because that's part and parcel of serving mankind of what you were talking about isn't it absolutely absolutely um and uh, if we look at for example uh, th- that reminds me of the golden era of islam that yes. uh after the you know the demise of the holy prophet peace be upon him the you know the khulafa rashidin the muslims themselves you know they they were so intrigued by islam you know as islam at various uh places in the holy quran it tells you to ponder over the heavens and the universe uh you know that is arabia itself became a golden hub and uh, the the language of science itself was arabic at that time mm. um inspired by these people who did a deep understanding and deep reading of the holy quran because that's where they used to get their inspiration from isn't it absolutely so so there itself is proof mm. how science and religion are intertwined that the inspiration came from the belief of god almighty absolutely and and then uh, thereafter you had scholars such as ibn sina and uh, you know you you'd find evidence of even you know it's very interesting to hear that uh, the cataract the first operation was uh, of a cataract um, of the, you know the the tissue or uh, which comes over the eyelid that was performed by muslims at that time and various surgeries were well even the father of optics today that book on on the you know on on uh, um optics is is still used today in in the profession you're listening to the breakfast show with myself kayum and uh, brother thakir we're going to go uh, and uh, have a short break and uh, go and listen to the 8 uh, o'clock news um but when we come back we will wrap up uh, this this topic that we are talking about um <coughs> which is um about science and 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 religion um so do stay tuned um when we come back uh, we will uh, go on to um on uh well we will go on to our uh, next topic um so do stay tuned for the 8 o'clock news you are listening to the recording of a live show please do not call or text as this is a recording 
and lines are now closed. Welcome back to what is it today? Thursday. Thursday. Yeah. It is Thursday morning breakfast show. Um, I was just uh, discussing with Brother Takir the wonderful um, um, closing to just before eight o'clock news. I was like, what am I talking about? Just stay tuned for the news. Stay tuned for the program. What I meant to say was stay tuned with us on Breakfast Show on Voice of Islam. We have been talking about AI and protein. And Brother Tokir uh, was having a good laugh off, uh, off air about the word protein. Because when initially, and in fact, my fault, not his, he was laughing because I said initially when I saw the title that we were going to be talking about, I was thinking, yes, we're going to be talking about protein, pumping mm. iron. And we're going to be, and then I realized it was more of a, <laughs> it's, it's science that we're talking about. So, you know, different kind of protein. It's a different kind of protein, but you know, you gotta as much as there's there is there is a serious side to it. Mm. You know, there is always a, a humorous side to to everything, and and you know, it's it's important to engage from from a humorous point of view. Um, you know, it is it is breakfast time. Um, you know, uh, a lot of people are having their toast, and uh, they they would kind of. I'm actually hungry now. Really, you've made me hungry. There you go. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Breakfast show works. We have made a person hungry. Um, let's go and listen to, you know, going back to the serious side of it, let's go and listen to um, an audio clip, uh, um, which we we normally play so many audios, um, from uh, the fourth head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazim is a Tahir Ahmad. May Allah have mercy on his soul. Um, and, and, you know, here it's, uh, it's an audio of a question-answer session um, with his uh, with his holiness at that time, um, where he was speaking to um, our uh, English speaking guests, and this was recorded on the sixteenth of May, nineteen eighty four, and which explores the the scientists doing a lot of research on genetic engineering. So let's go and listen uh, to this interesting um, Q and A. In fact, it is called genetic engineering. Nowadays, they are working, uh, you know, very seriously. <coughs> in America and uh, quite a generation of scientists has erupted because it's a new branch of knowledge and they are paying great attention to this uh, genetic engineering. Now there is a very great danger lying there. There is a nigger in the bush or whatever we call it. The fact is that despite uh, the Holy Quran having foretold many inventions and uh, future discoveries, it has never thrown any reflection or condemned any discovery except this one. is the word is the wording used by the Holy Quran. And it says that because Satan would incite them to do it, they would change the creation of Allah. So by that, the early scholars could not understand what the Holy Quran means because they could not think of any means by which man could change the creation of Allah. So they thought that when you cut the tail of an animal or his ears, that is changing the creation of Allah. While to be strict, the Arabic does not stand for this meaning. It is simply straightforwardly changing the creation and nothing else. So now this phase has started. 
And as I told you, no warning is given anywhere in any future development foretold by Allah except in this place. So that means there are going to be great hazards in this uh, branch of science and already the scientists have started detecting things which are giving them warnings. For example, a research scholar in America took uh, a gene of a bacteria and grafted uh, uh, it to another cell of another bacteria. Now knowing the details of the characters that gene was bearing and the characters which were already present in the gene of the other bacteria, they could very positively foretell the future generation of the hybrid or the new, new type of creation. But they were alarmed, greatly alarmed to find that their prediction had not held true. It was completely a different thing which came into being. And this is why already there is opposition to this science. And there are scientists who, who oppose this very vehemently. They say, by some mistake, you may create something over which you will have no control and which will completely go beyond your capacity to check and keep in or keep in, I mean, in limited sphere. May break every barrier and destroy life on earth. So this is why new stories are now being written on exactly this topic that uh, new generations are being created, new types of uh, beings are created and they are destroying man. But that is fiction. The Holy Quran is not fiction. It is positively give, giving warning about this possibility which was unconceivable by the man of that time. And also tells that this is going to be dangerous for man. So let's hope a new station, the voice of Islam, with live discussions, religion and culture. Understand the true teachings of Islam with the voice of Islam. And there we had His Holiness, the fourth caliph of uh, the Promised Messiah, and Mr. Tahir Ahmed, may Allah have mercy on his soul, explaining <coughs> the, the, you know, the, the, the relationship, the science, um, in in the well, the relationship of um, genetic engineering and the research in genetic engineering, and and also giving the Islamic perspective on it. Um, this kind of brings us to the end of our first segment. Um, we're going to take a very very short break, and, and when we come back, we're going to go on to our next topic, um, which is Star Trek. No, not not really. <laughs> it's not Star Trek. We are going to places where no man has gone before. Um, effectively, that is, um, you know, we're going to be exploring and broadening the horizons um, um, of, uh, of 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 our brain cells, brother Thakir. We are going to be talking about Rover. Now, that's not next door neighbor's dog. That is the actual. Um, <laughs> that's the space shuttle. We're going to be talking about Rover returning from the Red Planet. No, that's not a TV program. That's Mars. <laughs> that's so. We are going to be talking about, it is It is not the Science Hour. You're listening to The Breakfast Show with myself, Kayum, and Brother Tokir. And our next topic is about uh, the return of Rover from a Red Planet. 
Um, we're going to be um, having, uh, we're going to be listening to um, um, an, an interview that we um, were able to do with Dr. Michael A. Mayer, who has been the lead scientist for for NASA, uh, NASA's Mars um, Exploration Program at the NASA headquarters in Washington. We will um, go on to that later on. So do stay tuned. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about planet Mars and, and, and how, um, you know, what it means um, of uh, what it means with that uh, the rover is returning from the planet. So do stay tuned, and we'll be back after some brief messages. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Welcome back to Thursday Morning Breakfast Show with myself, Kayyum, and brother Thokir. And uh, we're going to go on to our second segment of the morning, which is Rover returning from the Red Planet. So, what is the gist of the story here, brother Thokir? Yes, so the first mission to return samples from another planet will touch down on Earth in 2033. And according to NASA and European Space Agency officials, the Perseverance uh, rover is currently collecting the samples on Mars. So no, it's not a it's not an animal. It's it's. <laughs> you thought it was, it was it was a program on your on your Range Rover, but it's not. It's not. We're not going to be talking about uh, Range Rovers. No. And this is did did you say this is it will be returning in 2033 2033 yes um and uh, uh, let me let me put my mathematics calculator on i no i won't be around you will be <laughs> <laughs> so you will come back here and talk about it maybe maybe god Let's willing see. god willing so um what type of samples are being brought back in 2033 so it says that 11 rock core samples are being brought back which are a uh, representation of a multitude of elements and materials and the perseverance rover has collected 11 rocks core samples so far uh, so the samples represent an amazing suit of materials um, said uh, said wadwa who is the uh, principal scientist for Mars Sample Return and the director of Arizona State University School of Earth and Space Exploration. And uh, he further says that the latest one, in fact, is a fine-grained sedimentary rock that has been the greatest potential for preserving biosignatures potentially. And so we have a diversity of materials already in the bag, so to speak, and really excited about the potential for bringing these back. And uh, I mean, this is an amazing research that you know they they're going so far far that they have such technology, um, which are able to go to other planets and not just nearby planets, go all the way to Mars, collect these samples, and uh, be able to uh, bring them back as well uh, for for research. So, also, how do they help find evidence? of life on Mars. So that is the ultimate question. So the research says that the materials in the samples brought back will be assessed and their compositions will be tested against those on Earth and initially to find uh, similarities. And this material is of interest because it could contain evidence of past 
microscopic organisms that would reveal uh, whether life ever existed on Mars. And scientists will have the chance to use some of the most sophisticated instruments around the world to study these precious samples. And the latest samples is a fine-grained sedimentary rock that has the greatest potential for preserving biosignatures, which can be extracted when uh, when back on Earth. Um, so that is uh, a gist of the story. Um, Brother Dukir, thank you for that. The whole purpose of all of these, you know, these, these scientists and these space explorers is that they're looking for, effectively, they're looking for life. That there, if there is any kind of, not a human being, but beings. Yes. Outside of this planet, isn't it? I mean, I, I know... <clears throat> that the, a lot of things get spoken about how people are looking to maybe find another planet where they can, you know, where they can, people can effectively start living. You know, a lot of billionaires spend a lot of their wealth looking to explore, um, um, you know, going into space and seeing mm. what's out there. You know, we have the likes of the Elon Musks and, and uh, um, Richard Branson is known for it. Um, and th- there's so many others. <clears throat> but if one was to look at it from a religious or the Islamic way of life. We already know that there is life out there, don't yeah. we? Yeah. And 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 I and I say that um, because this topic is actually covered in the Holy Quran, which was revealed over fourteen hundred years ago to the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And 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 it it is um, and and this goes back to what we were talking earlier about how. You know, religion and science, and 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 some of the knowledge and some of the findings uh, that tend to get find that tend to get uh, um, found in in today's day and age, and and one actually when they do a deep, uh, anybody who's interested does it does a, a deeper study of the Holy Quran or the commentary of it, they will realize that, hold on, this is something that has been spoken about in the religion of Islam before, meaning that that there is factual proof. So could you kind of if if you're able to for for and I'm sure you are more than capable for our listener, uh, kind of expand on this topic of being and uh, or living things or living beings from other other planets or uh, or or outside of Earth, I should say. Absolutely. So I mean, if we study the Holy Quran, uh, for example, if we look at chapter forty-two, verse thirty. Uh, here God Almighty says in the Holy Quran in the name of Allah the gracious the merciful and among his signs is the creation of the heavens and the earth and of whatever living creatures he has spread forth in both and he has the power to gather them together when he pleases now this verse itself essentially it talks about extraterrestrial life not just on earth because here if we look at the Arabic it says that uh, in the heavens and the earth, and later it says the word Arabic word which has been used um, is fihima, and this what this means is is referring to both on earth and also elsewhere around the world, and it alludes to the fact that there are living creatures even there as well, and uh, the the word. For living creatures in the in here has been used daba, and uh, that that's the Arabic word. And daba uh, 
it refers to any sort of creatures which crawls, which has feet and it crawls on the earth. So it, essentially this verse itself is, uh, is alluding to the fact that there is extraterrestrial life out there. Uh, besides the earth, there are there is uh, human, there, there is other uh, extraterrestrial life out there. And this, this is that particular verse. Now, we don't know exactly when, um, when that connection will be made or when, when it will be that uh, humans itself will build that connection. Um, but I do have a, a question and answer session um, of His Holiness in which he explains uh, extraterrestrial life um, and you know, I, I just wanted to explain that to our listeners. Um, so I'm just I'm just going to uh, get that for you guys and uh, read that out. Uh, but uh, the Holy Quran itself is a perfect book and is the perfect source of guidance for Muslims. And the Holy Quran is the only ancient book which is the best preserved throughout the last four fourteen hundred years. And God has sent the promised Messiah who has purified the Qur'an from all incorrect interpretations and commentaries and presented it to the world in its purest form. Hence, in this manner, God has ensured that the Qur'an is preserved both in its script and its true meanings and message. Um, and this is the promise, actually, of God Almighty as well, as he says in the Holy Qur'an, in uh, in Surah Hijr that that he will protect the this holy Quran every single word of it and not only that but through his prophets um, you know then he will also look after the interpretation of it as well as the promised Messiah peace be upon him he was sent and all of these false interpretations that were made of the holy Quran he clarified that and he said no that's not the correct interpretation this is what the Holy Quran is referring to. And similarly, in this particular verse that I mentioned in 42, verse 30, you know, God Almighty here, he is saying that, the, well, there is life on other places on the planet. And we do have a clip of the fourth caliph as well. And he will explain that in more deeply. So we're just going to listen to that now. Now we should take them up one after the other, please. Read the first question. Uh, yes, yes. Read, <coughs> yeah. read your questions one after the other yeah, now, yeah. so that I can answer yeah. each question the separately. The first question, I understand from the Quran that it says there is life on other planets, and one day we will meet them. Do you feel that this would be beneficial or detrimental to society, and what role would religion play? Yes, it has to be beneficial, because, first of all, it would indicate that God is our creator and creator of life. So if he is the creator of life, we must not monopolize life, because then it would be accidental. So many scientist philosophers have pondered over this question for a long time, whether life could uh, grow accidentally out of nothing. Or there has to be someone who planned it. If it is the only thing which happened on this earth, 
then the opinion of those scientists who say it could be accidental gains some weight. But if we find evidence that life grew out of death in other planets as well, then of course greater weight is added to the opinion of those who believe in the, in the unity of one creator. So in that respect, the verse of the Holy Quran speaks a very beneficial event. The second part is meeting together what, how could it be possible? Because as far as we know, if we scan the planets around us, it takes, if not millions of years, at least many years if the life travels from those planets to our place and if we begin to travel from here to their, their, their dwelling, you know, light years are, inquired, are involved. And how can you travel continuously for hundreds of light years with all your food and uh, requirements of life? It's impossible. So, the Jamahim, the word Jama, must have been used in their gathering together through communication. And that is possible. That is why worldwide great governments are funding such attempts to continuously listen to the possible signals which may have been sent from life in other planets or stars. So, if we receive those signals and the Quran definitely declares that you are going to receive such signals from elsewhere one day, that would be a sort of jama, metaphorically. And that jama would be beneficial in so many ways. Apart from the fact that we will believe in God with greater certainty, we may benefit from each other's scientific progress. And uh, that benef beneficence could be of very great nature. So, if you gather these things together, then of course the answer is, it has to be a good event, not a bad event. Allah, Akbar, Allah, Akbar. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. And there we had the, the fourth caliph of the promised Messiah, Hazrat Mr. Tahir Ahmed, may Allah have mercy on us all, beautifully explaining, um, um, the, the, um, beautifully answering the question as to um, the benefit um, would uh, to, to mankind, not only benefit, but how it would be, uh, uh, you know, it, it would change the minds of people 
uh, that uh, you know uh, that uh, it is it is factual and how it backs up the claims in the holy quran um that, uh, that there is beings outside of this earth and, and brother the brother Thakir, you were actually um talking about this uh, before you played uh, to this clip yes absolutely so um we will look at at the verse of uh, chapter 42 verse 30 where god almighty says then among the signs is the creation of heavens and the earth and whatever living creature uh, whatever living creatures uh, he has spread forth in both now uh, we were looking at the word dabba and uh, the fourth caliph of the amdiya muslim community uh, in his book revelation rationality uh, knowledge and truth he has written regarding this verse that the word dabba itself it covers all animals which creep or move along the surface of the earth and it does not apply to animals which can fly or swim it is certainly not applicable to any form of spiritual life in arabic a ghost will never be referred to as dabba nor an angel for that manner the second part of the same verse speaks not only of the possibility of extraterrestrial life but it categorically declares that it does exist a claim which even the most modern scientific researchers have not been able to make so far with any measure of certainty yet this is not all that the verse reveals wonder upon wonder is added when we read at the end of this verse that he allah the almighty will bring together life in the heaven heavenly bodies and life on the earth when he so pleases so he explains the fourth caliph he explains here that well it, you know the word da by itself it cannot refer to any angel or any ghost for that matter when we talk about heavens and the earth but da by itself is specifically refers to a creature which crawls or or you know it crawls on on the ground so it is referring to uh, that there will be life form on other planets and furthermore this verse actually says that there will come a time where when god almighty he so pleases he will bring them together and you know that connection itself will be will be formed now this question itself was also asked to the promised messiah peace be upon him as well uh, regarding extraterrestrial life and a a professor uh, professor uh, his name was waga uh, was an english uh, meteorologist who traveled widely and delivering lectures in london and india and in one of his travels he had met the promised messiah peace be upon him the founder of the amdi muslim community and uh, he asked the promised messiah um, and i quote that this earth with which we are have a connection is is but one is but one among many thousands of millions of other systems which god has created then why would god's sovereignty and blessing be limited to this earth and to this uh, the promised messiah peace be upon him he replied that this is not our belief we do not say that there is no system other than our earth and sky rather our god he says that he is rabbul alamin meaning that he is lord of all the worlds and whatever there has been a population he has sent his messenger there lack of knowledge does not disprove the existence of something why would god who created such a vast system 
for all this small earth have created provision for all other habitants. He is the Lord for everybody equally and he is aware for everyone's needs. The, 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 the key word there is Lord of all the worlds. It's plural. Yeah, yeah. And that's so significant, even though it's just an, an, an added S, but that is so significant in the scheme of what we are discussing, isn't it? I'm clearly saying that, look, hold on, he's not God of earth. He is God Almighty of all the, of worlds. All the worlds. And 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 we and we already know proven fact world the earth is just a one planet within um, one planet that we know of within the universe. And there are so many other planets out there that you know man has hasn't had the capacity or the capability to reach out to yet. Yet the Holy Quran and uh, the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has spoken about this more than 1,400 years ago and then revived again the same narrations by the Promised Messiah, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, um, um, on whom be peace, has spoken about this is uh, uh, again. Um, <clears throat> it's so interesting mm-hmm. from, from, from that perspective that as much as, you know, we, we say and we do joke um, about the fact that yet we're not scientists and we don't, um, you know, um, our our knowledge base is is l- limited to say the least to you know in on this topic. But when you do find the connection of um, of of something like this, uh, and it's factually proven in the Holy Quran, uh, it it the mind boggles in that sense that it it proves the fact that every aspect of human beings' life, be it education, academia, research, progression, you name it. Islam is forever present. The, the, the presence of God Almighty is not um, a coincidence, but it's backed up and it's factual because it, it, it is something that, that is happening and you can't deny. You can deny it to yourself, but as I said, from a, you can't help but to think, well, hold on, whether I agree with it or not, but it makes sense. And this is what I always find interesting whenever we talk about science. Um, and and there is so much, and there, yet there is so much that has yet to be explored. There is so much that's yet to be found. Um, and, and, and as and when, when more discoveries are made and more facts are established, as you said earlier, that, um, you know, every, every time something is found and discovered or established, it's strange that, that that there's always a verse in the Holy Quran that will back up that progression, that discovery, that finding. I remember when there was this black hole, um, and and uh, it, you know they discovered this this black hole in in, in space and whatnot, and 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 there was again there was not just a verse but a detailed explanation, the breakdown of what this black hole would be in the Holy Quran, which again. It, it's something that you would have to go and research. Nobody can do that for you. That is something you've got to have an interest um, on your own accord to get up and say, look, you know, I, I, I heard this on Voice of Islam and, uh, you know, maybe I need to go and and, uh, uh, and read up on it. And if you, you know, you, you, there are one of the oldest publications, if not the oldest publication in on, on comparative religions is Review of Religion. 
Um, it's it's uh, published since 1902. Um, I'm sure you will correct me, Brother Kir. It's done so many articles. It's got some wonderful articles, which actually covers this um, this this topic of uh, um, sp- space exploration and and progression and findings within space, and the relationship of that um, with the teachings and the findings and the verses from the Holy Quran. Um, that uh, that that uh, have been written again. I'll say it 1,400 years ago. But at at the top of the show, I I mentioned that we were going to go and listen to. We had the pleasure of of uh, recording an interview with Dr. Michael A. Meyer, who has who has been the lead scientist for NASA's Mars Exploration Program. So let's go and listen to what Dr. Meyer um, had to say on this topic. We're in the company of Dr. My- uh, Michael Meyer on the phone. Uh, Dr. Meyer has been the lead scientist for NASA's uh, Mars Exploration Program at its headquarters in Washington. He oversees the program's science operations and planning. Dr. Meyer, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, tell me, how exactly is the rover's mission on Mars? Or what exactly is it? Yeah, the, uh, the Perseverance rover has two major purposes. You know, one is the exploration of the region of Mars that it's exploring, you know, Jezero Crater, to understand its geologic and astrobiology history. Uh, We believe it's an area that uh, interacted with water early on and that it's also fairly ancient. So we get a very good window looking at what was going on in the planet in the first couple of billion years. The other major purpose is to collect samples. Uh, So it is taking cores, very small cores, uh, packaging them, putting them in sample tubes, sealing them, and then they'll be available to be brought back to Earth. So it's with the samples and and understanding of the region that this rover is uh, developing um, is through that we get the context of these samples, and then what we find out in the samples themselves can tell us about the area of that area of Mars and also about Mars history and ex- extrapolate to Mars itself. Mm-hmm. And uh, is there a, a specific reason of why there are only particular specimens being collected? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, one, one very simple reason. You, you can't bring back everything you see, right? There's not enough room on a spacecraft um, that's going to bring the samples back. So you have to pick and choose. And so the best way to do that is you have sophisticated instrumentation on the rover that tells you about the region, and then you can pick out your key samples. So, you know, there, there are certain samples that will tell you, give you the most information, the most bang for the buck, so to speak, give you the mm-hmm. most information about that particular uh, mineral assemblage that you're looking at. Mm-hmm. So it's by picking and choosing, basically filling up as much as you can in terms of what you can bring back, it's picking and choosing that now you have key samples that will inform all the measurements you made in the region besides telling you more about Mars in general. And uh, what do you hope to discover once these samples are analyzed after the rover returns is it going to be in uh, 2033? Yeah, they'll, they'll come back in 2033. Uh-huh. And what do we hope to discover? I mean, that's a huge question. Um, 
uh, back in 2017, we had this uh, big international group do a study um, called IMOS that basically said, okay, what are the things we hope to learn from samples? And we had like seven objectives, you know, major categories of things that we thought we would learn by bringing samples back. Because, you know, when you get the samples back, you could use first most sophisticated instruments on it. You can pick and choose little pieces of the sample you want to use. And also you can like manipulate the sample. So in other words, you can mount it for specific viewing. You can do some chemistry on it, you know, extracting things in particular you're interested in. And so uh, it, it's quite a range of things, but let me in particular, right? One of the things we don't have on Mars is we don't know the date of anything on Mars. We, we have dates of meteorites that come back, but we don't know where they came from on Mars. We have relative dates. We know that some surfaces on Mars are much older than other surfaces, but we don't actually have the date. Mm. It's only through analogy with the cratering record. You know, the more pock marks on the surface, the older it is. Kind right. of. By bringing samples back, we already know we have igneous samples. So we know we can date them. By bringing those back, we can get an absolute age. We'll find out the crater floor of, you know, of Jezero Crater is, you know, two point something billion years old, whatever the story is with the rock that it would bring back. So that's one thing. And that can anchor the whole relative history. And that's important because we know how old Mars is. And when we look at features and we think they're extremely old, we want to know for sure that that's true. The other is one of the big mysteries is we find organics on Mars. We think they're brought by meteoritic infall, but it could be from natural geologic, physical, chemical, geological processes on the planet itself. And it could be a product of biology and we don't know. And the instruments that we've sent so far have told us that yes, organic molecules are there. Yes. Some of them are, are complex, but we, we can't, we don't know more than that. And it's not until we bring those samples back that then we can look at it molecule by molecule, identify what they are. And that's going to give us a, a really big idea of what was the source of these organics. Mm -hmm. What about the area selected where the rover is operated? How was that done? Why that particular area of Mars and not any other area? Yeah, so... Uh, we had basically a four-year process involving the science community of picking a landing site for the Perseverance rover. Uh, and it started with, okay, whatever you're interested in. And uh, everybody, you know, the science community come out with their best ideas and what they would are most interested in and why a particular area is interesting compared to another. Uh, we had some goals where, you know, part of it is, is that we wanted to make sure that we were looking in an environment that used to have water because that's where we think the highest probability of life early on in the Mars history. Mm -hmm. So that was one of the criteria. And then we narrowed it down over a period of four years, a series of workshops where we started looking at different areas. And so, Jezero Crater came up right on top, and probably the most uh, compelling feature of Jezero Crater is that there's a delta in the crater. A delta means 
that there's standing water in the crater and that water flowed into the crater and deposited material as it entered the lower energy environment. So a river carrying sediment coming into the, to the crater lake would dump the sediment. And there's a beautiful looking Delta there, which is where the Rover is now. One of the things that's really nice about deltas, besides telling you that there was water there and a fair amount of it, and over an extended period of time, because you need time to form the delta, Mm. is that the natural process of that sedimentation of of stuff coming at, being suspended in the water and being deposited and forming the delta, is that it traps organic compounds. So on Earth, it's a good place to look for or evidence of life of what's going on upstream. Um, so it's it's also a, a really good repository for what was going on in the lake at the time because it would be trapped by the sediments and then sealed away. So it's it's sort of the the bank, you know, play on words. The bank is there that has what was going on in the environment when the delta formed. Hmm. Do you think there's enough evidence? Uh accumulated at present that suggests there was life on Mars at some point? So one of the things that we know now after, you know, a series of missions is that Mars was habitable. um, The rover Curiosity at Gale Crater showed that from what we think we know of how what's needed for life, all the ingredients are there. There's water, there's energies, there's the right chemicals available, there's organic matter, all the things are there that we know that early Mars in the first million years, it could it could have supported life. Mm-hmm. So then the big question is that did it ever get started? Right now we don't have that evidence. Right. And but the things point to, right, that say it's a it's a good probability from what we think we know um, life could have gotten started there. So it's a very good question to ask because whatever the answer is, we're going to learn a lot of information of, you know, what is, what is a unique life look like or what are the processes that were leading up to the formation of life? Because one of the key things about exploring Mars is that it has ancient rocks. So it has a record of the first billion years and it had that is the record of when life started in our solar system. This is when life started on Earth. Mm -hmm. And so what was going on with the terrestrial planets that allowed life to start on Earth and maybe even start on Mars? Mm -hmm. On Earth, we don't have that record because of plate tectonics, life itself, it's kind of erased it. We don't don't know how life got started on this. Mm -hmm. Mars might have that clue. Okay. And uh, about the future, do you think it can support life in the future? Can it be colonized? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, Mars has the things that we think we need to support life. Um, The water, it has lost a lot of water through its history. Um, So the question is, how how do you warm up the planet? to support life and in theory it's possible um there's a it it, it, it's possible with you know reestablishing the atmosphere one of the problems that mars has 
is um, it's smaller than Earth, half the size. And also it doesn't have magnetic fields. So it doesn't have this shield around it that helps protect the atmosphere. Uh, So because of that, the atmosphere gets stripped away by the solar wind. Uh Now, that doesn't mean we can't change things and and make it habitable and potentially live there. I could see living there in, you know, in domes kind of thing. Uh Uh, But making the whole planet habitable will be a challenge. It's not impossible, but it would... Uh, require a fair amount of resources and clever thinking to how to how to reestablish an atmosphere and make it stable. Right. Well, it's fascinating stuff. It's been wonderful uh, speaking to you, Dr. Meyer. Thank you very much for taking your time uh, to come on. Wish you all the best in your work in the future. Thank you very much. Well, I appreciate it. It's truly exciting stuff that we are able to do these things on another planet, and I am really looking forward to samples coming back will be the first planetary samples first samples from a planet brought back to earth it'll be Uh, fantastic wonderful okay excellent thank you very much okay Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Welcome back to Thursday Morning Breakfast Show with myself, Kayum, and Brother Tokir. And we were listening to Dr. May- um, Dr. Michael Mayer um, uh, interview, who and he is, uh, or he has been, the lead scientist for NASA's Mars exploration program at NASA's headquarters in Washington. He oversees the program Science Operations and Planning. And previously, he was NASA's senior scientist for astrobiology and program scientist for the 2001 Mars Odyssey mission. Dr. Mayer uh, earned his master's and doctorate degrees in oceanography from Texas and A&M University College Station and a bachelor's degree from uh, Rensselaer uh, Polytechnic Institute, Troy, New York. His research emphasis has been in microorganisms and living in extreme environments. And we thank Dr. Mayer for giving us time to interview him for the breakfast show on Voice of Islam, brother Thakir, we are coming up to the last uh, three to four minutes. Um, would you mind kind of summing up for us? Um, you know what we've been talking about today. I mean, the main topics of of, of the morning has been kind of science related. Um, you know, we've talked about um, the advancement and the progression of science um, and and use of artificial intelligence for the benefit of mankind. Mm. And then we've also talked about um, space, how we are now actively um, bringing back samples of stones and whatnot and, and other items from outside space 
and then and and we're kind of experimenting on them and and we're looking for solutions to things we don't know about or things we do know about um um where these things from outside of space might bring with them solutions to some of the challenges that we face here on earth um so collectively for both topics we have been talking about the benefit of mankind and that goes back to what you said earlier you mentioned the term hukukuli bad the rights of man and you cannot you, you, if you don't serve man then you can't really serve god so just to finish off two minutes if if you can kind of um, sum it up for us there uh, on on uh, on this particular topic on rights mm. of so <clears throat> you know in, in essence this that's what in, in connecting it to the topics that we've spoken about that we those are connected to serving man so in in essence uh, you know that's what islam teaches that not only uh, you know as as a human being we should recognize the creator uh, but at the same time once we've recognized the creator then you should give your due rights towards his creation as well um so in essence you know this is this is uh, something we we talked about as well um but you know in, in this particular segment uh, you know we've looked at how islam it coincides with what science says and uh, we've looked at various verses of the holy quran and you know f- which prove that uh, islam is actually a lot of the prophecies which have been mentioned in the holy quran you know scientists have only realized that it has come today and we we've explored that in so much detail for example regarding the uh, big bang theory it also mentions in the holy quran in chapter 21 verse 31 uh where it talks about god almighty talks about that you know earth itself or heavens and the earth was a closed up mass and then uh you know uh, god almighty he says that we then clothed them asunder so essentially in this particular two hours we've talked about how islam and science they coincide with each other and uh, this this something which we focused on by listening to the question answer session of the fourth caliph as well thank you for that brother look here we are coming up to the hour thank you to all of our guests uh, who took time out all the way um in in the united states and stayed up uh, um late and and to contribute to our show thank you to um to our researchers and the producers um to to barira hania um vaki halima saleha sahar and sara and thank you to brother zishan in in tech um without whom we won't be able to operate uh, thank you to brother thukir as always uh, it's been a pleasure having you here thank you to all of you for for listening um and uh, please rem- please remember us in your prayers please forgive any shortcomings on our part um until we meet again uh, may the peace and blessings of allah be upon you all